It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. As we continue in the Advent season, we're looking at the second theme of Advent, which is peace. And today, Pastor Rick, in his series on Do You Hear What I Hear?, He's still in Luke chapter 1. We're looking at verses 26 through 38. In a sermon he's entitled, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Here's Rick. Two years ago, Palmer Chichen and his brothers traveled to Zimbabwe in order to raft the Zimbizi River. Um, their adventure started at the base of Victoria Falls, And many of you know that those falls are the largest in the world. They are a mile wide, and the water drops over 300 feet. In fact, during the rainy season, when the water flows at its highest, mist from those falls almost creates a fog-like environment that can be seen 50 miles away. The water, then, from those falls is then channeled into a narrow gorge Um, creating the world's largest rapids. Now, in the United States, you are only allowed to raft up to a class five rapids. That's legally what you only can do. The Zimbizi River, though, creates rapids at class seven and sometimes tops out at class eight. Listen to how Palmer describes his experience. He said, I sat at the edge, uh, or sat on the edge of an eight-person raft, all suited up in a tight, overstuffed life jacket and a thick crash helmet. I felt like an overcautious tourist about ready to rent an overpowered moped in Honolulu or a set of rollerblades on Huntington Beach. The Zambezi, it can't be that dangerous, can it? Then our guide said, when the raft flips, wait, whoa, wait a minute. If the raft flips, or on the off chance we get flipped, no, he said when it flips. The guide went on. When the raft flips, stay in the rough water. You will be tempted to swim toward the calm water at the edge of the banks. Do not do it, because in the calm water are where the crocs wait for you. (laughs) They are big, they are hungry, so even when the raft flips, stay in the rough water. Water. Imagine that. (laughs) Stay in the rough water and you'll live. Go where it's calm and you could die. You know, that's not only good advice for rafting the Zambezi, but also for the turbulent waters that we all face when we walk out our doors Monday to Saturday. And unless I miss my guess, it's also good advice for us as a church here in the middle of the interim season that we're going through. Do you realize that we are lulled so often into perceiving Christmas as this snowy, scenic night with a full moon and twinkling stars? No breeze would dare disturb the sleeping donkeys and cows and goats that are there or disturb the young mother that just had her baby, and she's cuddling it now in her arms. What we forget is that the events that lead up to Christmas were a chaotic, upsettling mess. 
like it was like a combination of an earthquake and a tsunami coming together. First of all, people's lives were deeply shaken by the messages that they heard, and then all of them were, were pulled along into the powerful current of God's initiative that dramatically changed the landscape around them. That's Christmas. So as we come to the well-known scene, or one of the well-known scenes here is, that's part of the broader Christmas story, we're entering class seven, if not class eight, rapids. So strap on your crash helmets, please. Open your Bibles back to Luke chapter one that Rick read just a moment ago, starting at verse 26. What's the story that we have here in front of us? Well, the angel Gabriel once again enters into time and space to deliver a message from God. What he says reveals that God's got something in mind. So these initial verses, we are given God's plan. And as the story begins to unfold in front of us, as we listen to the angel's message, we'll see that there are two parts to the plan. First, we're told who God has in mind. Look at verse 26 and verse 27. It involves a woman, a young woman by the name of Mary. But what's important is not her age. It's the life stage that she is about to enter. She's engaged to be married. So her thoughts are all focused on her new role, her new role of becoming a wife. A settled joy is there inside of her as she anticipates beginning um, and preparing for the wedding and then starting the new life together with Joseph, her fiancé. So what do we have here? We have a, a young woman about to enter a major life transition. Change is in the air for her. Only it's not the kind of change she's anticipating. <sighs> Gabriel shows up and begins with these words in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And notice how Mary then has two reactions. One is an emotional reaction. The second is a, is a mental reaction. Verse 29 says she was greatly troubled. In other words, she was confused. She was perplexed by the angel. In fact, the word that, that Luke uses literally means to shake something up or to stir something up. So her emotional reaction is she's shaken. She is unnerved. She is thrown into confusion. Folks, that's what happens even to us when we face significant change. Now look at her mental reaction. Notice she tried to discern this greeting by the angel. She's wondering. She's, she's trying to figure it out, what the angel is telling her. Now, we'll come back to this in a few moments, but just hold that thought for a moment. So in the plan of God, we, we, now are, we, have, in, we have the who. Now we're told the what. What does God have in mind? Look at verse 31. The angel says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Notice how that sentence begins with the word behold. That's like putting an exclamation point at the start of the sentence. It's like saying an enthusiastic, hey, listen up, or guess what? Now, the initial part of the message is really not all that dramatic. You think about it. You're going to become pregnant, Mary. You're going to give birth to a son him the name Jesus. Okay, 
negotiating that first rapid wasn't that bad, but there's more coming down downriver. Uh, hold on to your seat, because this baby boy is going to have incredible power, incredible authority, and an incredible position. Look at verse 32. The angel says, he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice, those five descriptions point to the long-awaited Messiah, the one who the Jews were waiting to come and deliver them and to save them. So you've got greatness mixed in with divinity and also a throne over an eternal kingdom. That kind of message is breathtaking. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's stunning. And then the implications begin to settle in. Notice in verse 34, Mary asks a very simple question. How? How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, you need to put yourself into Mary's shoes for a moment here. Because in the message from the angel, something is missing that's important to Mary. What's missing? Any mention of Joseph? Oh. Again, remember the, her life stage she's in. She's engaged to be married, yet Joseph is never mentioned. No wonder she asks how. Because she wants to know the technique. See, her question, how, is really similar to someone sitting in a doctor's office and being told by their doctor they have a need for a radical type of surgery. What's going to be the initial question that's going to come back to the doctor? Have you ever done this before? (laughs) Mary wants to know how this is going to happen. And folks, I think on the inside, she is desperately praying, oh, please say Joseph, please say Joseph. (laughs) But God's technique, as we know from the story, does not involve the normal marriage relationship at all. Instead, it's going to happen completely by the power of God, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Now, it's interesting to assure Mary that this technique is effective. The angel mentions what very few people know yet. Her relative Elizabeth is pregnant. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So bottom line, we're talking miracle here. Everything that the angel has said from verse 35 down to verse 37 is an explanation to her question. But notice it's also an invitation for her to believe. Faith is always a choice to be made. Always. Now, I could be wrong. I have been plenty of times in my life, but I don't think I'm wrong here. I think there is a pregnant pause, sorry for the pun, between verse 37 and verse 38. I think there's a pause there. And I think all of heaven waits in silence for the choice. 
did you notice that the angel never asked Mary, is this okay with you? But it's obvious he's waiting for a response from Mary. He's not only asking her to believe the impossible, but to willingly be a part of it. See, this is a radical change of plans when other plans have already been made. This is not only incredible, it's painfully inconvenient and rudely disruptive. This is putting everything at risk for her. It's putting at risk her reputation in the community. It's putting at risk the loss of a traditional wedding. It's putting at risk the possibility of being married to Joseph or, of that fact, being married to any man the rest of her life. See, she has every right and reason to pass. So look at the first three words of her response in verse 38. Behold, I am. Mary makes her decision. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, you hear what she's saying? Let her rip. <laughs> Fulfill your word in my life. I am going to stay in the rough water. That should make all of us kind of step back for a moment, take a deep breath and say, Wow. Because what has been displayed here is a rare form of gutsy, authentic faith. What this young woman models is a willingness to risk everything that's important to her in life in order for her to be a part of what God has planned. And right there is now the truth of this passage. There is the point of why we're told what happened between the angel and Mary. And the powerful truth is this. Following Jesus Christ means releasing my expectations in order that I can embrace God's intentions. The great choice of faith is to serve God's purposes with my life. And see, that's what adds the dimension of adventure to following Jesus Christ. I'm pulled into the current of what God has in mind for this generation. But then what that does is that leads me into the chaotic white water of having to release my expectations for how I think my life should go and embracing God's intentions for me. It's choosing to stay in the rough water when I would prefer to go to the side and be where it's calm. Now, this passage begins, verse 36, with some interesting words. Did you notice it? It begins with the word, in the sixth month. The sixth month of what? Well, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We looked at this last week. So what the story tells us, as it, because it begins with that, is that this reference to Elizabeth's pregnancy tells us that what happened with Zachariah and Elizabeth is intimately connected to Mary's story. But instead of it being a connection of similarity, it's a connection of contrast. It's a contrast between Zachariah and Mary. Did you pick up on this? For example, on one hand, the angel went to a man, and here now he comes to a woman. On one hand, he came to a geezer, and now he's coming to a teenager. <laughs> he came to someone who's married, and now he's coming to someone who's single. Okay, yes, she's engaged, but she's still single. On the one hand, the angel came to a priest. Now he comes just to a common individual. Zechariah didn't believe 
Remember, his question how was for assurance. Mary's question how is more of technique. So he didn't believe, she did believe. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they got what they wanted. Mary, she got what she never wanted. (laughs) The title of barren was removed from Elizabeth. The title of promiscuity could possibly be given to Mary. To Elizabeth and Zechariah, God's plan, I have something to give you. To Mary, God's plan is, I have something for you to give up. For Zechariah and Mary, I mean, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was longings that were realized. For Mary, it's longings put at risk. See the contrasts? And those contrasts are there to point us to the larger story that's unfolding here. Mary's response to the angel's message calls for each of us then to rise up and follow in her footsteps. So here's the question. Then what does it mean for us to follow Christ by releasing our expectations and embracing his intentions? Well, embracing God's intentions involves putting our arms around two things. And by the way, you're going to see it's the same two things that Mary had to embrace herself. What are they? First, to release my expectations and embrace God's intentions is to embrace risk. Risk. We are to get into the raft and shove off into the river current. And there's going to be risk at a number of different levels for us. See, for some of you here this morning, the risk to embrace is to believe that God wants to create something new inside you, just like he did with Mary. See, Mary had to risk believing that God would create life within her, literally a baby. And that is still God's desire, even in this generation. God wants to supernaturally create new life inside each one of us. We've looked at these verses before. doesn't matter. Let's just repeat them again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Or what about Romans chapter 6 and verse 4? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And that's why we've spent the last couple of months looking at how Jesus came to give us life. I call it life with a capital L, because it's now a life with a richness and a joy and a freedom and a purpose that comes through having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Life with a capital L. And it's breathtaking. It's incredible. It's stunning to believe that by the power of God, a miracle can take place inside of me and all this old stuff of my life can literally be removed and a new life can be given to me. Some of you are here this morning and you've been thinking about this. You've been exploring it. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ and put my faith in him as my Savior? Are you ready to embrace what God has done for you in Christ and this life that he can give? Are you, are you ready this morning maybe to accept that new life that he's offering? Now, does that appear risky? I'm sure it does. But with that risk, 
comes life like you've never, ever had it, but have always wanted. Now, for some here, though, this morning, you are already a follower of Jesus. There's risk for you, too, for me, too. Because sometimes it means embracing risk means releasing some very tightly held areas. See, like Mary, to involve myself with what God has in mind is threatening, it's inconvenient, frankly, it is disrupting. And it's especially disrupting because it often happens when we are going through a life stage change. There are lots of life stage changes. You grow up and you get a driver's license and suddenly there's a newfound freedom. You graduate from one level of school and move on to another. You're anticipating, like maybe Mary, into a marriage. You are about ready to add kids in the home or more kids in the home. Or you're experiencing the empty nest. Lots of life stages. It's fascinating how Jesus Christ often comes right then and there and challenges the control issue. And some of us, maybe before, have settled it. Maybe we need to settle it again. Where's the risk? Well, the risk could be my reputation. Maybe it's not so much that other people would look at me and think I'm crazy, but it's that they might pull back and avoid me so that I lose the relationship with them. Or maybe it's the risk of my expectations. That I've got dreams, I've got longings that go along with this life stage that I am in. There there are things I've wanted for so long and they're not wrong dreams or desires. They're normal about where I'd be and what I'd be doing with my life at this stage. But what God has in mind, frankly, could come in and sweep all that away and change the direction of my life. That's a risk. Or it could be also my desire for stability. It could impact my finances. It could impact my availability or attractiveness for marriage to someone else. It could risk, put at risk my moving forward in my career. Uh, it's the stability I want in, in my retirement years. Shut Sports uh, is a major supplier of football helmets to the National Football League. And on every single one of their helmets is a warning label. It reads like this, warning, no helmet system can prevent concussions or eliminate the risk of serious head or neck injuries while playing football. Now, on the website of Shut Sports is that same warning label, and then it continues on to describe the symptoms for concussions, and then the warning concludes with the following statement. To avoid these risks of playing football, do not engage in the sport of football. Maybe we need a warning label on our Bibles that says to avoid the risks of discipleship, do not follow Jesus Christ. Because to embrace God's intentions for our lives means, first of all, embracing risk. But there's a second element. 
And by, by, it's interesting, the second element actually helps us do the first one. So hang in there with me here. And that is we also need to embrace a role. Embrace a role. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, to embrace a role means, like Mary, I'm available for God's intentions. Look at her words in verse 38. I am the servant of the Lord. I assume the role of a servant. Interesting, the word Mary uses to describe herself in that role is the same word that the rest of the New Testament authors pick up and use to describe the followers of Jesus. We're his servants, which means in that role, we're under his control. We are under his authority. And right here is the point of struggle for so many of us. It's a struggle for me. 63. Have I settled for the first time? Or am I willing to settle for this new stage of life I'm in, the control issue? So I don't know about you, but I'd be very willing to put on the back of my car a bumper sticker that says, God's my co-pilot. But how many of us would be willing to have a bumper sticker on the back that says, He leads, I follow, always? See, So I'm sitting in the corner of bakery, as I often do, and I'm trying to process this in my own heart, and I'm asking myself, why would I assume the role of a servant? I know I should. Why am I resisting it? (laughs) What's going on inside my heart? Why do I resist it? Why would I be willing to take the hands off the, the controls and let God do it? God said, Rick, look at the text. So I looked back at the text and started reading again, and I suddenly saw none of us, myself included, will ever risk taking on that role unless we're convinced of two things about God's heart. And it's the same two things Mary had to be convinced of too. What are they? Well, back to verse 28. I told you we'd come back there eventually. The angel said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. There they are, right there. The first thing I must know, if I'm going to really authentically, not just say the words, but authentically enter into the role of being a servant, and that is, first of all, out of God's heart, I will have His grace. Favored one. That's the word grace. It's the same word that Elizabeth identified last week up in verse 25. Grace. God giving me what I need, but I do not deserve. So that means that when in, when in obedience to God's word, I'm swept into some class seven rapids of risk. I do not then have to wonder if in the middle of these rapids, I'm experiencing them because he's withholding something from me or he's denying me something that I need or he's punishing me for something or he's teasing me like a, like a carrot at the end of the stick. No, that's not what's going on. I have his grace. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Let's read this all out loud together. Let's all say this out loud together, all right? Together. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Graciously. 
all things. See, embracing the role of a servant suddenly doesn't become as difficult as maybe I begin to wonder it will be if I'm convinced that God will lead me through any risks from his heart of grace. He'll give me what I need. Not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, not because he's obligated, because he's just being gracious to say, yeah, here, Rick, here it is. From my heart to yours. Back to verse 28. There's a second thing. Mary was convinced of it. This is what helped her, so this is what needs to help us. Well, not only out of God's heart will I have his grace, but notice out of God's heart I'll have his presence. It ends with, the Lord is with you. When any of us face risk, the natural reaction is fear, isn't it? Fear of loss. Maybe fear of loneliness. So the promise of God's presence speaks directly to there, speaks directly to my fear of loneliness. So we need to get into God's word. We need to allow his word to speak to us. And his word addresses his servants, for example, who fear failure or abandonment because they enter into the risks God asks of them. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8 The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Or how about out of Jesus' own mouth in John chapter 14? He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Or how about in those times when we fear difficult times, that it's going to get hard? God's word speaks to that, Psalm 91, 15. The Lord says, call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Isaiah 41, 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or what about those times of risk that do sincerely, I mean, it does put us into having to face opposition. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. We can have his presence. Or Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, ever-present help in trouble. I, I love for those of you who've got the New American Standard, look at those little notes on the side. It says, abundantly available for help in tight places. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So do you see what Mary's modeled for us? I won't embrace risk without embracing the role. And I won't embrace the role of servant unless I'm convinced out of God's heart that I will experience his extravagant grace and his extravagant 
presence with me in the middle of it, whatever risk may come. And that's why following Jesus means releasing my expectations and embracing his intentions. For something inside of you and me will die if we stay in the calm. But the gutsy faith of this young girl called Mary invites us to go live in the white water. And he'll be with us. Always. Let's pray. Father, so many of us this morning want to follow Mary. But Father, to be honest, we don't just want to say words. We want there to be something that's coming out of our hearts that it can honestly say, Behold, I am your servant. May it happen to me according to your word. Some of my brothers and sisters here this morning are entering into different life stages where following you and being obedient to your word is putting a lot at risk. Not going to downplay that, not going to minimize the fear that comes. But thank you from your word that, like Mary, we have your grace. Thank you that, like Mary, we can be assured of your presence. And may that make all the difference in the world for me, with my control issues, for all of us here in this room. Father, in this Advent season, it's so easy just to blow through these stories. The familiarity of it can sometimes get us into trouble that we don't pause long enough and look carefully enough. But thank you this morning, Father, for what she was willing to do by faith, by her choice. Lord, may this never be forgotten. May you remind us of this regularly and draw us into a gutsy, authentic faith like hers. Pray that for myself. Pray that for my brothers and sisters here this morning. In the wonderful, gracious, present name of Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. Org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.